This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. Most companies in Malaysia will still view ESG projects as a matter of compliance, notably if you are listed on the Bursa Stock Exchange. For the rest, at best, it could be a PR exercise to help them sell more products and services. Without a carbon tax pricing framework in a country, property developers have no financial incentives or penalties to aggressively embark on sustainability projects. Furthermore, the cost of incorporating ESG into development projects remains significantly high, and consumers out there may not have the pockets to pay the premium to go green. Today, we speak with BK Sinha, Chief Sustainability Officer, Habitat Invero, a management consulting company that helps clients manage their ESG projects to share his experiences on the growing momentum of ESG in the country. Good morning, BK. Good morning, Mark. Now, BK, in your line of work, how would you rate the awareness of ESG in this country amongst the developers? Um, first of all, Mark, I think we need to divide the developers into groups. A small group on top are very aware and very savvy. They have a roadmap. They know what compliance requirements they need to perform towards, and they do it as a journey. However, below that layer lies a huge number of developers who are hardly aware of the why. And so the response to their requirement becomes very weak to sum up in one word. This is uh, concerning and I feel that as we hurtle towards 2030, we will need to have acceleration in that area to get them up to speed and capacity. Now, for those developers where you say they already have an ESG transformation roadmap, are they looking at hitting peak carbon targets by 2030 and then eventually going carbon neutral by 2050? What's the sense of their roadmaps that you've seen? So, thank you very much for that. Now, even for those developers on the top layer, we talk about that first, I feel that the roadmap does not result in the impact required. So today, being so close to 2030, impact is all important. And that is a factor which we need to consider at every juncture, at every move that we plan forward. The impact I'm talking about is roughly today, as we sit here, Mark, about half the carbon footprint to avoid a 1.5 degree global average temperature increase by 2030, which is our target, which is a milestone. Can these developers half their carbon footprint? I seriously doubt it, though I'll be very pleasantly surprised if they can. So when it comes to carbon footprint, how do you calculate it? And how do you show to the consumers out there, I am a carbon-friendly developer? As they say, someone else has to talk about your good aspects, okay? So carbon footprint is like that. First of all, the first part of your question is, every single activity, every single product used, every single service used by your company has a carbon footprint. In short, everything that is a result of your business has a carbon footprint, whether directly or tangentially, but it does. Now, because there is a, a requirement to separate them, the GHG protocol has got a system called Scope 1, Scope 2, and Scope 3. But basically, what it means is Scope 1 and Scope 2 is what happens under your roof of the principle of the business, and Scope 3 is what happens in your vendor's area services and products 
you reach out to perform your business. That's scope three. So today, if I'm an ESG-minded consumer and I want to buy a property, a house, from an ESG-responsible company, how do I know that this particular company is ESG and having a roadmap for carbon neutrality? Well, uh, first of all, let us be clear that we need to separate ESG from green building certification. They relate to each other somewhat, but there is a clear differentiation. ESG being a process which the corporate or the company will adopt, the developer, whereas green building certification relates to the product that they will produce. And of course, having green building certification for every single building that they build will contribute to their ESG. But really, as a consumer, we should be looking at green building certifications, such as green building index, and trying to look for property which is the highest. Green building index starts from platinum, gold, silver, and and certified levels. The higher the certification, the deeper it is in terms of positive compliance to the environment. So today, we have three tiers of green building index. But moving forward, is there any other rating or grading that will be developed? What will happen as we evolve and mature as a market is that these sort of rating companies like RAM, for example, they will evolve out of the property market to grade the quality, the compliance requirements to ESG. But we are not there yet. We are quite short journey away from it. I'm hoping that organizations like the Malaysia Green Building Council will help to accelerate and build capacity towards this sort of thing, which is a very positive thing to do, to know what sort of building. For today, we only have green building ratings, uh, but these green building ratings are not the same matrix as ESG, which is the matrix we need. And for public listed property developers, we also have the Bursa Malaysia sustainability reporting requirements that will apply to them. Absolutely right. That is a very good move, I would say. Why? Because I see a knock-on-knock domino effect happening here. I dealt with a top-tier public-listed company, and they had 5,000 vendors. I went through 1,000 of them to get them to be what we call ESG readiness capacity building. So what will happen here is from the top, the pressure comes for compliance. And then to the public-listed company, he has his group of vendors. And for him to holistically respond to the requirements of Bursa, his vendors has to be included. Soon, the compliance requirement may expand to the vendors' vendors and the knock-on-knock effect will happen. Now, these sustainability efforts naturally add cost to the property developer. I mean, from my layman understanding, some of the materials, green materials versus brown materials, could be a 50% premium, like glass, paint, tiles. So in Malaysia, are consumers willing to buy properties that are green because it will naturally have to be sold at a higher price? This is a favourite question of mine, but there is a philosophical angle to it. What happens if petrol price suddenly doubles tomorrow? Do you think house prices will go up? If that happens, and it's quite inevitable. Now, the question here is, what cost have we considered to the environment ever since we start building? And the answer is none. So we are paying the price. We are in debt. Now, if property prices go up, and I understand that is philosophical angle, but we have a day-to-day mandate to look at people need roofs over their head and they have a certain earning limit. So therefore, this answer must be cracked holistically. Government, developers, consumers, 
the whole shebang must be involved in addressing this. We can't do it in silos. And if we do it holistically, we will find very gradual progression towards biting this bullet because the cost to the environment cannot be ignored today. You mentioned that only a few developers that you've encountered do have an ESG transformation roadmap and I suppose are putting some serious efforts into it. But we also know that a lot of developers are just going around planting trees as part of PR exercise. So what can property developers do on a practical level to start their sustainability journey? Yeah, thank you for that. Interesting question. I always start my capacity building by mentioning how do we make money out of sustainability? Is that possible at all? Well, if I use a simple example of do you do any extreme energy efficiency exercises or initiatives within your whole organization? If the answer is no and you start, you will straight away drop your electricity bill and become more sustainable. Perhaps you're already doing it. You don't know that it's part of ESG and how to report it. So we start with small steps, ensure that they are financially positive benefit. And that would encourage us to pivot. And then we have another interim step, which is financially neutral. You neither gain nor lose, but you do gain PR value out of it by doing those things. And so when you are able to capture wholesomely the positive benefits financially and the neutral benefits, you will easily be able to pivot to higher benefits of cost versus benefit. Then the subsequent initiatives will be investments, which will pay you back as well. So really this, um, I would really go straight out and call it a myth that sustainability is more expensive. Now, based on your experience, we have about 1,600 property developers in this country. How many of those developers do you think are even ESG aware and have an ESG roadmap? About 2%. 2%. Perhaps, yeah. So I'm going to look at the glass half full to say we've got 2% awareness. We still have a 98% upside to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. On the bright side of things. On the property show this morning is BK Sinha, Chief Sustainability Officer, Habitat Enviro. When we come back from the break, what more can be done to increase ESG adoption amongst Malaysian developers? This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the property show where we have BK Sinha, Chief Sustainability Officer, Habitat Enviro, a management consulting company that helps clients manage their ESG projects. Before the break, we looked at the current ESG situation with our property developers. Would the financial institutions need to play a stronger role where they will have to use their financial muscle so that banks and insurance companies will not lend you money or insure your risk if you do not have an ESG plan? What's your opinion on that? Very, very interesting, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, you spoke about the extreme, which is quite a distance away now. The amount of money going into sustainability-linked products is still comparatively very small. In fact, there's a disproportion between how much that money is in the industry to the need when compared to our climate goals, especially the 2030 goals. So um, while there is, and there are some banks taking the lead and Bank Negara putting in some requirements, I feel that the answer is yes, but insufficient. And this can be improved drastically because every incremental step of increased capital injection into the industry as a requirement would really have a fantastic knock-on-knock uh, -knock effect 
Correct, because I think without green financing, you're not going to have very substantial change in the industry. And a lot of it, I still feel, will be part of a PR greenwashing campaign. But come green financing, you are really turning the nuts and bolts for all the developers to actually make that material change. Absolutely. Right now, green financing is at carrot stage. Okay, What is happening now is certain banks offer slightly lower interest rates if your building is going to be green. Some banks offer special products if you want to transform your business from business as usual into green. So that transformation process is financed by a green product. And so these are clever ways, but I think capacity needs to expand. Now, how can we build capacity around this ESG for the built environment movement so badly needed to start and accelerate towards our 2030 climate goals? To address your question, the parties who can accelerate this Number one, must be done on a joint basis. Number two, every stakeholder must be included. Nobody must be excluded. And by this, I mean the developers, the suppliers, the service providers, the government, and the consumers. They must be an all-in effort. We don't even have a forum where everyone can come in to speak about their needs and wants and how it can adjust to a very profitable outcome, a beneficial outcome towards achieving this wholesome sustainability in the built environment. So you mentioned government. So who in the government should be leading this process, if any? And what about government tax incentives? What more can be done? The government is playing quite a strong role in ESG. We must come out with governance and policies and incentives, especially from the government side to encourage this. Malaysia Green Building Council used these incentives to pivot. Today, we've got more than 300 million square feet certified throughout the country. And the initial benefits which were given were tax incentives and RPGT incentives for buyers. So those sort of mechanisms must come into place. The government can also lay down strong policies which will drive industry. It always has. Now, not only lay down strong policies, but at the back of that, which we cannot do without, have strong governance, effective governance. It cannot be like a Waste Management Act, which we have in place, which is never adhered to, separation at source, and never governed because it cannot be. So it must be a governance policy coming through, which is practical and which is applicable. Correct. So on a very practical basis, which ministry within our government should be spearheading this? Um, The Ministry of Environment should, and it is actually, to be fair to them, the Malaysian Green Tech Corp, MGTC, is their face, the front, which can deploy, advise, nurture, build capacity. And this very effective organisation, which is doing its part, although it is constrained by what the governance policies are and the government of the day wants and needs, what their priorities are, but effectively being deployed an injection into market, they're doing a pretty good job. And what role can the Ministry of Housing and Local Development do? Actually, you know, again, I go back to the point where sustainability is a wholesome topic. It has got so many subdivisions. One of the things is that a few ministries, not only the Housing Ministry, Ministry of Natural Environment, for example, Prime Minister's office has got a few ministers there, Local government, yes, Ministry of Housing is one of them. All this should have forum. 
I remember a few years ago, there used to be a council in the government, which used to be a climate council. And the prime minister used to head it. And the relevant ministers used to sit around. Even industry people were invited to give inputs. It seemed to have gone invisible now. That should be revived. That was a very good forum. So BK, in your opinion, what are the main obstacles in getting the whole property developer ecosystem to adopt ESG for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals of People, Planet, Profit, Peace and Partnership Benefit? So there is actually five Ps as revised by the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. And this is the engine, the platform, the catalyst from where ESG can use the principles of these five Ps to pivot. Now, the umbrella for these five Ps is something very, very important we human beings need to perform to any cause. And that is a sixth P, which I always say it is purpose. If we are not sure of our purpose, any number of Ps will not serve its cause. And we have to understand the purpose for the evolution of the deployment of and the effective benefits from ESG, we need to know the deep purpose. Once we understand that, we will be able to perform much better. But BK, so are you saying that our main obstacle right now is the purpose? Absolutely. Because in any organisation, one person can be in charge of energy efficiency. And that energy efficiency portfolio may be an added portfolio given to a facility manager. Now, he is thinking, whether I do well or badly in this energy efficiency, I will still collect my months and pay. Purpose is not established. Now, when there is some sort of inner engineering and inner re-transformation for him to understand what this energy efficiency is all about, one kilowatt hour saved is 700-odd grams of CO2 less into our atmosphere. And what will that mean in terms of money, in terms of health benefit, in terms of planetary benefit? His purpose will change and he will even try to squeeze out every single bit of kilowatt hour which is not going to be beneficial for the use. I'm not saying compromising on your use, but just installing a sensor where you leave the room and the light switch switches off if you forget is something that he will be driven to do. Correct. I think here it's purpose with measurement. Right? So the industry needs to know what it's measuring in terms of the carbon tax footprint because if you don't measure anything, nothing gets managed. Absolutely, absolutely. Now finally, looking at the medium and long-term aspirations and directions of the industry, you know, what would be your comment and advice for it? Well, you know, we are at a point of our lives in humanity where long-term becomes question mark. We should really look at here and now and at best only at medium term because we are running out of time. I'm sure you are aware that if we do not hit the 1.5 global average temperature increase avoidance, sitting here today, we have no management technology or any green technology which we can use to deploy against global warming. It will be runaway temperatures and the start of the end of humanity will be there. So. I really think that today we ought to think that what are we going to do to half our carbon footprint by December 31st, 2030? 
Well, BK, I think all of us look forward to 100% of the Malaysian property developers embarking on their ESG journey before time runs out. BK, thank you very much for your time. On The Property Show was BK Sinha, Chief Sustainability Officer, Habitat Enviro. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.